Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. And I am Silas Brown, the Loans and Private Debt Editor. This podcast will take you each week through some of the biggest and most interesting stories you need to know about for your week ahead. And if you want to read more about what we're discussing today, please go to globalcapital.com. Today, we're delving once again into the murky world of sustainability-linked bonds. This is a pretty new market, and on the face of it, it seems like a great way for investors to support companies that want to take their corporate social responsibility and environmental impact more seriously. John, we've spoken about them before on this podcast, but perhaps you can quickly remind us what they are and why they're so flexible. Yeah, sustainability-linked bonds are a new product. They were invented in September 2019. And what it's really about is companies that want to get into the world of sustainable finance, which has already been established for more than a decade and has proved very popular. But companies that find the existing instruments in sustainable finance not very suitable to them. And that the, the chief one is green bonds. With a green bond, you issue some debt and you use the money for green purposes and you report to the investors about how you've done that. But if, for example, you are doing things to make yourself greener, but you they don't cost an awful lot or the, the pattern of your debt issuance doesn't match the amount of spending you have to do on green projects, then the green bond isn't a very good instrument for you. And a better way to approach it, many companies think, is to issue a bond in which you define a target, usually for the whole organization, such as reducing your carbon emissions by a certain date. And if you fail to hit the target, you give the investors a bonus on their interest payment. And it's a different way of linking your sustainability to your financing. And of course, you can go beyond simply uh, green uh, performance, can't you? You can have, have a number of metrics across a number of types of ESG behavior. That's right. And one of the one of the first deals was by Novartis, the Swiss pharmaceutical company, and they linked it to two metrics to do with uh, extending access to medicines in developing countries. Well, that all sounds great. But of course, the devil is in the detail. Today, we'll look at a number of controversies in the market from whether issuers are setting meaningful key performance indicators, the measures by which uh, their coupons are adjusted, to whether they are setting them at all. We'll discuss whether the punishments and incentives for issuers are big enough, and we'll talk about who ultimately should police this market. Uh, Silas, you've written this week about the company famous for building airships, Zeppelin. They're doing a sustainability-linked deal in the Schulshine market. Is there any reason to think it might go down like a lead balloon? Um, well, I don't think it will go down like a lead balloon. Um, uh, I think in part because there's a very limited supply in the market, in the Schulzheim market at the moment. And so investors are pretty much interested in, in anything. Um, I think what the deal has demonstrated, though, is a, 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 a sort of central kind of laxness when it comes to uh, ESG-linked issuance, which has become enormously successful in this in this kind of private debt market. Um, and so while I think, I'm sure the deal, uh, as, a, as a relatively small deal, I, I'm sure the deal will go to plan. I think it illustrates 
um, certain issues with the evolution of ESG in, in, in the market. Can you tell us about that laxness or laxity? What 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 about this deal is so so lax compared to other sustainability linked deals? I, okay, well, I, I first I should give the short term market a degree of credit. Um, it's become incredibly popular for European companies to tap this market. Um, it, it's a sort of private debt instrument, which which is which is German. Um, it, it's become very popular in the last sort of five or six years. Um, and it has taken to sustainability link financing very well. Um, but ultimately, a lot of the growth is, is kind of organic and ad hoc. Um, there's not as many industry bodies and, and, and kind of loud investors. It's, it's an, it's an, a, as a private debt instrument, it's, it's, a pe- it's opaque. And so a lot of the progress has had to be kind of um, has had to be kind of done by the participants. Um, um, I think with what that has kind of what that has kind of brought up is is certain inconsistencies when it comes to standards of ESG in the market. And with Zeppelin specifically, um, it has become very normal for, um, for for deals when they're launched to have on their term sheet what the key performance indicators are for the company to test their margin against. Um, I was was sent through this this term sheet on Wednesday and and looked through it and saw that there was no KPIs stated. Um, instead, Zeppelin said that they would state the KPIs in the loan documentation, which comes after the launch of the deal. Um, that, I, I, having spoken to a number of sources in the market, that that is quite a novel thing to have occurred. Now, we don't know why that is, whether or not that's banks simply mistakenly not providing that information or Zeppelin not wanting to give away the KPIs as of yet. Um, But I think it indicates a certain degree of um, perhaps a certain degree of kind of market laziness when it comes to ESG practices. Um, John, you've written about two other sustainability link bonds this week. Uh, Don't I mean, I guess the issuers there weren't quite so so lazy or, you know, laissez-faire, shall we say, at the uh, stage at which they were marketing their deals. Uh, but again, there's some debate over the KPIs that they did set. Could you tell us a bit more about them? Yes, I think the bond market's a very different place from the Schulchine market. And these were two, in fact, Canadian issuers, the very first two from Canada to have issued sustainability-linked bonds. One was TELUS, which is one of the biggest telecoms companies there, and the other is Enbridge, which is uh, the biggest North American pipeline company for oil and gas. They pipe uh, a lot of the oil from the Alberta tar sands region uh, south into the US. And so these are these are big blue chip companies in a very public forum. So they're not going to do things that are sort of vague or casual. Having said that, there was there was a sort of curious incident with the with the Enbridge deal when the, they published the framework from which they intend to issue sustainability linked bonds the week before, i.e., last week, and it had three KPIs. One of which was increasing uh, the percentage of women on its board to forty percent by twenty twenty five. Now the percentage of women on the board was already at four out of 11, I think, which comes to 36%. And um, people pointed out that they could they could achieve that 
simply by adding one woman or or having one man leave the board. And, and it was therefore not exactly a difficult target to achieve. Um, and f strangely enough, when the deal appeared this week, um, the that KPI wasn't used. Um, and the company told me that the reason was that the KPI had in fact already been achieved because a board member male resigned on Monday. So that's an example of how um, you know, even the very sophisticated companies are are still, to some extent, sort of feeling their way in this area. Is it is it fair to say they're feeling this way, or do the companies, or do we get a sense that the companies will try and push for as lax a KPI as possible? After all, it's not an uncommon idea that the main beneficiaries of green financing are not necessarily the environment or you know the social causes involved they, it's often seen as just good publicity for the company therefore you might think that the company has an interest in making its kpis as easy to achieve as possible i guess i guess one could say that embridge could have revised its target for board board uh board composition but it chose not to do that it just got rid of it do you yeah. think that's do you think that's fair I think uh, this is this is a very interesting area and certainly an important one to think about. And and I think every deal has to be evaluated against this question of of whether the you know how genuine are the KPIs? How important are they? Do they uh, genuinely advance the company's sustainability? But I think um, the first thing to say is that th th these KPIs are usually not dreamt up just for the deal. You know, they they are company targets that the company's top management have already decided and and usually already communicated to the market. And, and therefore, the CEO is behind them. The company's credibility is already on the line. What the bond does is just add a little financial incentive as well. But I think really the bigger incentive is that the CEO has promised this to the to the market. John, I don't want to get all action reaction on you. But it does seem as if Enbridge came out with a KPI. Um, the market or certain people in the market said this KPI is too, uh, is not ambitious enough. And then Enbridge dropped the KPI. Um, that, that's surely a sign of market efficiency. We, we don't, I, I can't say whether they dropped it in response to market feedback. We don't know that what they told us is they dropped it because the KPI had already been achieved. And I think they were very sensible to do that. Um, if there if there is response by the company to market feedback, that, that as you say, is a good thing. And, and that is the way it should work. Um, the other targets on the deal were, were much more material, in my view. And one of them related to racial diversity in their workforce. And they, Enbridge is quite strong on this. They have been tracking the percentage of racial and ethnic minority employees, which is now 21%, and it's been rising. They have a separate target within that for members of indigenous communities. Um, I think it's about 5%. But, but the target they chose for the bond was to raise the racial and ethnic minority percentage of the workforce to 28% by 2025. And that's really quite significant when you think this is a company with thousands of employees and the 7% of the workforce is a is a is a decent chunk now um the other target 
is about carbon emissions. And that's really getting to the heart of what Enbridge is about as a company, which is transporting oil and gas. And this is why environmentalists are very skeptical about Enbridge as a company and Enbridge doing a sustainability link bond particularly. Silas, um, what's, I mean, John, John mentions in the Enbridge deal, or you both mentioned the Enbridge deal, that there's been lots of feedback and comment on their KPIs. What, what have people said about Zeppelin's lack of KPIs? Um, you, <laughs> you, you touched on an important point. I think in the short chain market, um, investors, first of all, there's limited outsiders in the short chain market. It's an opaque instrument. Um, you don't get kind of analysts um, commenting on transactions. Um, you basically get feedback from investors. And uh, investors that I've spoken to, um, I don't think care too much about ESG issues. I mean, I think the larger, in, the larger, the institutional investors that come in at the longer tenors, I think have kind of internal policies around ESG. So I think they do ask questions. I think the larger commercial banks from, from Europe and Asia, I think do have some institutional understanding of the importance of sustainable finance. But the bulk of investors are kind of smaller, smaller commercial banks. And, I've, you know, most people in the market would say that they don't have a particularly sophisticated understanding of, of, of sustainable, sustainable finance. And so regarding the Zeppelin, I was actually quite surprised that um, most people hadn't either hadn't hadn't really noticed or didn't really have a kind of fixed view. We're definitely sure that this hadn't happened before, but hadn't really kind of constructed um, an argument in favour or against this practice that Zeppelin had done, which I think is indicative of a market that, that, that treats credit first and ESG second. Well, I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because we're asking investors or investors are allocating capital to companies here. They're being asked to vote effectively it seems, on how strenuous these KPIs are and whether they're meaningful. However, the people allocating the capital, whilst they might have an ESG advisory person within their within their shop, ultimately, these are markets people and they're interested in interest rates and returns and yields and credit and things like that. Are they, are they fit to judge meaningful meaningfully emissions targets i i noticed uh john in the in the embridge deal well it's not really in the embridge deal but embridge has put out uh various sort of esg metrics for a long long time and it's it's largely seen as a sort of best in class as far as esg is concerned but i noticed that one thing that in your story one thing that they have provided down the years is what they call an intensity metric and this is some unfathomable number of i think is that it tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per gigajoule of energy produced and this thing has moved by a number of basis points over two years i mean it's come down but who's to say like what portfolio manager could say whether that's meaningful or not it might be enbridge might have done a fantastic job but how can we judge really whether these kpis are meaningful or not if, to me this feels a lot like sort of pre-2008 credit rating territory in that a lot of nebulous complicated information 
is supposedly distilled into a nice, easy, meaningful metric uh, by either third-party opinion providers or by the companies themselves. And yeah, I just wonder what you think about whether these targets are meaningful or not and whether people in the market are really fit to judge. Yeah, I mean, this this is what it's all about, really. I think sustainable finance, you know, in a way you could see it as having two faces. One face is sort of PR, and and it's about people trying to present what they're doing as clearly and as fully as possible and in the best light. And um, the other is about the real work is exactly what you're talking about, is trying to work out what is credible, what is ambitious, and what isn't. And that is the real work of sustainable finance. Now, the thing about sustainability is it's the cube of the complexity of finance. Finance is only has one thing in it, which is money. And, you know, the money can be smaller or bigger. But in the environmental world and the social world, there are umpteen effects on different parts of the environment and aspects of society that are all going on at once. So any project will have multiple environmental and social effects. And, and if you're going to try and work out, you know, which are good and which are bad, you're going to have to evaluate all these different dimensions. So it's, it's really, it's like the comparison between something linear and something three-dimensional. I'd also like to just point out with the, with the Zeppelin deal, um, the step up, step down ratchet is only 2.5 basis points. And so I think to, to typical investors, that's a negligible impact on the margin. Were it to be 20 basis points or more, that a, a meaningful margin, then I think, I think we could all be clear that investors would take it much more seriously and, and I think would have noticed the, um, uh, the the fact that they weren't on the term sheet. So this is a sort of second thought. And I think in, in the short-term market, if we're relying on investors to, to determine the efficiency of ESG, I think there needs to be meaningful margins for that for, 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 for standards to kind of be promoted and and, and, and evolve. And, and Silas, is that two and a half basis points normal in in the Shulchan market? It's 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 lower than normal. So it's uh, I think the, the typical margin is still very small. It's about five five basis points. We have seen a few kind of outliers, uh, at like I think up, upwards of twenty basis points. But the the convention is a very minute, minimal um, impact on the margin at about five basis points. Step up, step down. So I'm wondering if what's what's actually going on in the Shulchan market is a sort of training and and it's almost a toy market in a way, not wanting to be rude to some of the issuers, which I'm sure are very serious about it. But they are um, the investors are not really clued up They're They're not really ready to evaluate these things, but they, they're kind of getting practice at doing it. And the whole conversation is being turned towards sustainability by these transactions. If if Zeppelin had just done an ordinary deal without this feature, they their sustainability would be just as important to their credit risk and their ultimate future as a company. But people wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. Um, well, I think firstly, I think people in the market would take issue at being cool <laughs> uh, the uh, the toy market characterization. But I do think you're right in it, I suppose fundamentally. I think companies do see 
the short-time market. I mean, both on an ESG level, but also on just a funding level as a kind of stepping stone into broader um, public markets. Um, so I, I think you're, I think you're right. You're right there. I think the the short-term market doesn't have the the scope and the depth and the resources that public markets have. And so I think to a certain extent, investors and and borrowers are kind of learning learning as they go. Um, which obviously is great for journalists trying to find inconsistencies and and trying to kind of uh, trying to kind of push the needle. Um, but I think you know to, to give the market its its. It's, it's credit. I think that, that there's a steep learning curve and they're kind of struggling along with it, I guess. Yeah, I didn't mean to be rude to them. And I think the bond market and the equity market have, have both gone on learning curves as well in the past. And generally speaking, their level of knowledge is not p- particularly impressive either when you consider that we're on the brink of a climate emergency. But ultimately, it will have to be investors that police standards won't it surely i think you you wrote an excellent leader piece this week john saying that if anyone's doing the greenwashing it's the investors because of course they can stuff their portfolios with labeled deals that uh purport to make all sorts of beneficial changes to society and the environment but if those deals don't aren't aren't, sorry if those issuers aren't held to very high standards on their kpis then is it all for nothing yeah, I think that's right. It is It is up to investors ultimately. And I've, I think this is very important and should never be forgotten. People talk about standards and, and categories and ratings and things like that. But ultimately, the investors have to decide. And I'm in favor of them doing as much of that thinking themselves as possible, partly because I think that's the way you get flexibility and you get the market's able to evolve and doesn't become ossified by by categories. John, whenever I'm when, whenever I kind of come near to sustainable finance, um, a question that has kind of dogged me since since first hearing about it is actually a very fundamental question, and I don't think it's I, I think perhaps it's too grandiose to call it existential, but it's you know when when everyone's getting so serious about sustainable finance and we're arguing about different key performance indicators and whether or not they are or are not efficient in determining the sustainability of a company, I do just get this kind of step back question. And I think, you know, are we just fiddling while Rome burns here? And and actually, will these KPIs, if, if everyone performs to the higher standards that the KPIs dictate, will that actually make a an impact on the the um, success or failure of 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 of, uh, of of the world to address climate change and environmental problems. I mean, are these? I mean, in, on a very fundamental level, is this is this a debate or a kind of progress that's worth worth having? I think it, a lot of it is fiddling while Rome burns, definitely. But at the same time, it is also worth having, and. The, the major reason is not that these sustainable finance initiatives are actually going to change the economy particularly. They, they are helping and they are putting pressure on companies. But the really important thing is for governments to see that the markets will support it. And that governments, governments have been absolutely terrible about climate change and all the other environmental issues. And they they've they've ducked the issues they've failed to understand them and they've had bad policies and the usual excuse is 
oh well you know it's too expensive right and and what sustainable finance can do is bust that excuse and say we're here to finance this we want to do it we're ready just get on with it and make the legal changes required well i think mm -hmm. to that point a constant flow of sustainability linked finance deals or esg label deals certainly keeps it front and center and let's let's look at the the numbers you know these deals are very well bid there's a greenium there's proof that investors will accept lower returns to buy esg label debt for whatever reason that might be but it does show that there's a, a cost benefit to doing the work even if it is if even if each individual deal is somewhat trivial in the global context absolutely and and it's it's entirely true that the, these market signals must filter through to politicians and and make them realize that that there will be support for the right investments um i thoroughly enjoyed the enbridge piece so so thoroughly did i enjoy it that i read it twice and i thought an interesting tension um in the article to do with the perception of sustainable finance is is whether or not we should be comparing sustainable finance to the sort of corporate finance that was occurring 10 years ago and judge it against that metric, which is, I think, what one camp of the sort of the, the one camp in the Enbridge in article was, was, was doing, or whether or not we should be comparing sustainable finance to a kind of normative view of what sustainable finance could or should be. And I, I feel that there's a kind of central tension in in the world of sustainable finance that I think came out in your article between those positions. Now, I might just be seeing things, but is that something that, that, that you've kind of thought about? I hadn't thought of that, but that, that's a very interesting idea. And it's sort of glass half full, glass half empty, isn't it? I mean, some people see progress, others see the, the progress still needed. Um, and And I think both are needed. You know, both perspectives are needed. We, people need to feel good about what they're doing. Sustainable finance perhaps gives them that opportunity a bit too much. But at the same time, uh, we also need to focus on, you know, how far we have to go. Well, if sustainable finance hasn't found many answers yet, I think we've established that it certainly has a lot of questions to deal with. Thanks, John and Silas, for joining me today. And if you want to know whether Zeppelin flies or whether investors just think it's full of hot air, be sure to visit globalcapital.com. We'll be back next week with more stories from the capital markets. Goodbye. <laughs>